The Holy Gospel this morning comes from John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said that, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As our Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of, of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed, Thomas, because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sunday after Easter, or Sunday after Easter Sunday, Easter 2, beautiful day, the roadies are popping, the colors are bursting forth, it's spring, and it's the second Sunday after, or of Easter, and it's the Sunday that we get to hear about the so-called Doubting Thomas. And every year, pretty much, when I get to preach on this particular Sunday, I like to preach on Thomas. And of all the stories in the lectionary, Thomas, we always get to hear this story the second Sunday after Easter. Without fail, all three years, it's, it's always the text. But I don't want to preach completely on Thomas today, but I can't not talk a little about him. I mean, when I look at Thomas, I see the difference between a skeptic and a cynic. 
A skeptic has questions. A skeptic has doubts. A skeptic has got to mull something over, is not easily won over, but is still open to possibility. A cynic has shut themselves off. No. Oftentimes we call him Doubting Thomas, which is an unfortunate result of a probably not the greatest English translation. The word in Greek, as we've talked about many times, is not the typical word for doubting. It's actually the word for not believing. When Jesus says, Thomas, do not doubt, he actually says, do not be unbelieving. You put an A in front of a word in Greek, and it makes it the opposite of. And so that's exactly what we have here. We have the word for faith with an A in the front. In other words, Thomas, don't shut yourself off from believing, but believe. Thomas is not simply um, completely against faith. No, he's saying, I want to see what the other disciples saw in order to believe. So he hasn't shut himself off completely. The other great thing about Thomas is he wants to see more, even more because he wants to see not just touch Jesus, but he wants to see the signs of the crucifixion. He wants to make sure that what the disciples have seen is actually the one who was on the cross. I mean, lots of, you know, we, a lot of people see ghosts. A lot of people see apparitions. To this day, a lot of people think that's the explanation of the resurrection. Jesus was kind of raised in the disciples' minds. No, Thomas wants to see the signs that the one standing before the disciples is the one that was on the cross. He's the first theologian of the cross. He brings the cross and the resurrection together. So we're really thankful for Thomas's struggle to believe and that he wants to see the signs, the marks of the crucifixion. Well, the other great thing about Thomas is hopefully as you hear about him, you can go, wow, um, I can relate to that guy. Um, I, I think we all struggle to believe, don't we? That's what's great about doubt. When someone's doubting, I think they're trying to believe. I mean, I'm not advocating you doubt and question and whatnot, but I mean, there's place for that. I mean, it, the great passage where Jesus says to the, you know, the person whose child was so sick and whether or not you believe that I can heal your child and the person says, I believe, but help my unbelief. So Thomas, I think, makes room for all of us who wrestle with belief, and that's quite a lot. But Thomas is the ultimate example of what it means to believe. In the Gospel of John, we start with a statement from um, John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And at the end of the Gospel of John here, we hear Thomas say, My Lord and my God. 
Now, in Greek, the word is Adonai for Lord, but that's a translation of the Hebrew tetragrammaton, the name for God. Um, people in Hebrew would not speak Yahweh, which is actually what, that's, what God's name sounds like. So when they read it in Hebrew, they would substitute Adonai. It's just you're trained to do that. And so in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, they would say Adonai. So really what Thomas is saying here is Yahweh looking at Jesus and saying, you are God. You're not a God. You're not a sub-God. You're not a partial God. You're not a really great guy. You're not a neat prophet. You are God, my Lord and my God. Perhaps the greatest confession in all of the New Testament about Jesus Well, that's what we do when we gather after the resurrection, trying to let it sink in. We ultimately want to go with Thomas. We want to look at the cross. We want to look at the risen Lord here in the Eucharist, here all around us, and say, my Lord and my God. But like I said, I didn't really want to talk to you about Thomas today. Because what really strikes me is what happens to the disciples before Thomas, when Thomas was out at the AMPM store getting whatever he got and missed the story. It's interesting, and you know, tons of ink has been spilled on this about Jesus going, you know, just he seems to just go right through the door. He doesn't stand at the door and knock. This, you know, like in Revelation, we hear Jesus standing at the door knocking. I'm not sure the disciples would have let him in. After all, they had totally denied him, totally forsaken him. Not only were they afraid of the Jews or the people that had put Jesus to death, all those authorities, but um, they were probably afraid of Jesus. Mary has come, remember, and said, I've seen the Lord. And we think, oh, yippee, they got to be really excited. But maybe they weren't. Maybe they thought, wow, we've totally blown it. And he's coming back. And so Jesus doesn't knock at the door. He just comes in. I love that. Because so many times in our lives, thank goodness, Jesus doesn't wait for us to ask him. Just barges in. And what does he give? He says, peace be with you. Shalom, lakar, or shalom lake. Um, Peace to you, wholeness, peace to you. And and then um, he breathes on them the spirit. This is kind of a mini Pentecost in the Gospel of John. Uh, We won't spend time trying to figure out Acts and John together at the moment. We'll just live with these two stories. Um, You can talk to me at Starbucks later this week if you want to wrestle with how to bring those two together. But, you know, we've got a short sermon here. So, So this is kind of Pentecost. Jesus breathes on them. He said, I'm going away. And now he's in the process of going away. And as he's going away, he gives them the Holy Spirit. Um, he, so he's burst in. He's given them peace. He, he hasn't said, okay, I'm going to rake you guys over the coals now. The first word out of his mouth is peace be with you. Because when, when we're confronted with holiness, we're freaked out. We ought to be freaked out. We ought to come with fear and trembling. And, and thank goodness Jesus says, peace be with you. And then with the giving of the Spirit, 
he commissions you and me and all the disciples at that time and for all time about what we are about. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, here in John, he says about forgiveness of sins. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you bind them, they are bound. He gives us what we are to be about doing in this world as disciples, as followers. It's interesting that in John and in the book of Acts and in Luke, everywhere you hear about resurrection, Easter, you hear about forgiveness. I mean, check out, you heard it today. In Revelation, we hear that um, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. That's resurrection. And then he says that he loves us and has freed us from our sins. And in Acts 5, as you heard today, that Jesus is exalted on the right hand. He's, he's been exalted so that repentance and the forgiveness of sins can be given to Israel, to God's people. In Acts, first it goes to Israel, and then it goes to the Gentiles. Later on in the sermons of Peter and Paul, it's always Jesus raised from the dead so that forgiveness of sins can be proclaimed in his name. So Jesus bursts through the doors in, in, in all of our unbelief and struggle, and he says he gives us the Spirit, he gives us the ability to believe, and then he gives us what we're to be about in the world. Some pretty cool words when it comes to forgiveness. In the Revelation passage, to set us free from sin, the, the verb is one that all Greek students learn um, because it's the ba you know on how to learn all the different endings and beginnings of a verb in Greek. It's the word loose. Um, luo. Um, it's to set free. To to you're it's like you're tied in. You're tied up with your sins, and now your those sins have been severed from you. They've been set free, loosed. Jesus loves us, and He's loosed us from the sins. Now the, there's another word for forgiveness in Greek, which we hear in John, and that's a face. It's actually an eraser. It's like it has been erased. Um, it's been wiped away. It's been wiped off the slate. It's interesting that the resurrection is all about forgiveness. This tells us something. You know, when you think about the absolution that you heard this morning, for the sake of Christ, your sins are forgiven. Just think, let's just unpack that. Just let's impact, unpack that a little bit. Your sins. You know, when you hear the absolution, it's convicting. Your sins. We have to start with we have a problem. Our sins are missing the mark. You know, Jesus has said very clearly what we're to be about in this world. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with that? Isn't it true that as human beings, um, it's almost inescapable that our love is always bound up with expectations? 
what's in it for me, kind of, maybe, you know, hopefully not to a great extent, it just, I suppose it depends, but, but it seems like our love is always bound up in what somebody's going to do for us. But Jesus says, love God with all your heart and all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. I think we struggle to do that. Um, and, and so when we start out with the absolution with Easter, we, your sins. So all of this is about our missing the mark as individuals and as a, as a global community of God's creation. But then comes that word. Are forgiven. Are forgiven. Forgiven. We, we start every service with it because we believe people need that all the time, not just once when they become a Christian, and then they just need a bunch of law and a little bunch of to-do lists after that. Um, so we, we, we do that every Sunday. We have the Lord's Supper where we are given the gift of forgiveness every Sunday in a tangible way. Um, so, so, so think about it. Your sins, which put Jesus on the cross, have been erased. Now, you know, you've heard that before probably a million times, which is good. But have you thought about its reality in this way? Um, you know, I was trying to think about this. If, if I started talking to you about something for which I knew nothing about, which never happened. Like, I don't know, I just, I, I never, I didn't come up with a good example, so maybe I'll, something will come to me now. Um, you know, like, oh, I know it's, it's May, it's going to be May. Well, May is shrimping season, right, out in the Hood Canal. If I started talking to you about how to get shrimp out there on the Hood Canal and what you need, you know, and I'd never been out there shrimping before, would you listen to me? No, you would go to Tim Knapp and you would ask Tim, how do you shrimp out on the Hood Canal? What do you need? What's the best bait? Which, by the way, we got that down. So, you know, you, where do you go? That's what you'd want. You want to talk to an authority on shrimping. I mean, if you wanted to talk to someone about education and about teaching, you probably wouldn't come to me. You might come to, to my wife, Sandy, or... The Jonathan's wife, uh, you know, um, to the, the, an educator, a teacher, all the other teachers we have sitting here today, you might want to go and talk to them because they know about, they know about that and they have, they have, they're an authority on the subject. But even more so, let's say you had um, committed a, a crime, like you got a speeding ticket. And I said, you know what, that was wrong. They shouldn't have given you that ticket. I say, rip it up. Now, would you do that? You wouldn't. Come on. I'm hurt. Why? Because I have no authority. Now, listen to what you just heard this morning when it comes to your sins. It isn't just somebody standing up there and say, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. It's not just somebody making up something, but it's the person who was put on that cross, who's been raised from the dead, that says, 
Your sins are forgiven, and I'm giving this church and all disciples the authority that God gave me. I'm giving you to set people free, to say, in the name of Christ, your sins are forgiven. That's power. Have you thought about that when you come and you hear this word, that your sins have been erased, that it's coming from one who has the authority? who's the judge, what do we say in the Apostles' Creed? Of the living and the dead. Who's the one who's been raised from the dead. Now that's somebody you might want to listen to. And, and, hear, and think now of the awesome responsibility and gift we have. His authority, he breathes into us in his spirit to believe and to share this gift with others. I mean, if you're sitting on an airplane, if you're sitting in a Starbucks, and someone is pouring out all the things they've done or left undone, something that's just terrorizing them, don't say to them, oh, it's okay, everything will be fine. Look them in the eye and say, whether they're a Christian or not, I'm telling you, I'm serious about this. You look at them and say, I don't know if you believe, or I don't know if, but I want to tell you something, that Jesus died for you, and in the na- his name, I declare to you, your sins are forgiven. If they are, if they're weeping, if their tears are coming, if they are upset and troubled by this, you better set them free. That's what the Lord put you on this earth for. We better set them free. That's what it's about. You know, there was a, a couple brothers who grew up on a farm. Um, you know, there was Johnny, uh, and he was, uh, he loved his slingshot. You know, he's 10 years old. He loved his slingshot, and he used to target practice. Um, his brother, um, Steve, was not that into it, but he was a, Steve was a little cantankerous. So Johnny, though, he would, he would practice his slingshot, and he loved it. And one day, you know, he saw a duck out by their pond, and he's like, you know, I wonder if I could hit that duck. He hit the duck. And the duck was done. And so he went and he grabbed the duck. He felt horrible. He did, I don't know. He didn't think he could do it or just that moment he did it. And he hid that duck. But you know who saw that he did that? Oh, good old brother. Brother Steve. Well, at dinner that night, Mom and Dad looked over at Steve and said, Steve, it's your time to do the dishes. Steve looked over at Johnny and said, oh, but Johnny said he's going to do them for me. Duck, duck, duck. In that moment, Johnny, Johnny knew that Steve had seen the deed and seen that he had covered it up. And so Johnny did Steve's dishes. The next night... You got to sweep off the back porch. And Johnny looked over at Steve, or Steve looked over at Johnny and said, Quack, quack. This went on for over a week. Let's just say Steve didn't do very many chores for quite a while. And finally, Johnny had had enough. He couldn't stand it anymore. And he went to his mom later in the evening and said, Mom, I've got it. And he, he just started to, you know, just kind of the tears were coming and they're welling up. He said, Mom, 
I got to tell you something. Um, and she looked at him and he says, oh, about the duck? I saw what you did, Martin told him. I was just wondering how long you were going to come to me and ask for forgiveness so you weren't imprisoned by it anymore. <laughs> well, that's kind of like us with our sin. We carry it around, we lug it around, we let it oppress us, we let it affect everything we do, when in the all reality, the forgiveness is there. It doesn't need, no, you know, we don't need to have a brother Steve that, to lord it over us, because when that happens, we can go right to the cross. Have you ever, um, you know, it's kind of like in the mail. You, you get something that's sent to your house, and it's, come, it's the wrong address. You know, we have an accuser. Our own sin, our own insides, our conscience accuses us. Other people accuse us. Society often says you're not good enough. You missed the mark in all these ways. And, and it's like those accusations come to our address. And when we get them, you know what we get to do? Sorry, you've sent it to the wrong address. Send it to Jesus. Because he's taking care of our sin. He's taking care of your sin. You can just put that junk back in the mail and send it to your Lord. Wrong address. Here's the really powerful thing I want to leave you with today. Have you ever thought about Easter as God's ultimate absolution? Everywhere. Resurrection is talked about. We hear forgiveness of sins being proclaimed. The cross is our sins. And when God raises Jesus from the dead, all, you know what it is? It's God's ultimate looking at you and all of humanity in the eye and saying, I forgive you. I'm erasing it. That's Easter. That's resurrection. So when you say um, those great words about Jesus being raised from the dead, not only is it that death's been defeated, but it, you're telling yourself and all the world what God has done to forgive their sins. Your sins are forgiven. Set people free. Loose those sins. Let them live. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.